Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. If you are here and you have a mother or have had a mother, we're glad you're here. Should narrow it down for a lot of us. If you would open your Bibles, turn to First Samuel. We will get there in a while. Let me be honest. It's going to take a little bit to get there. But we've been working through the series on the church, and we have seen that the church is important to Jesus. Christ founded the church. He died for it. He identifies with it. He nourishes it. He cherishes it, and he uses the church to display his manifold wisdom and guarantees its victory. The church is of immense importance to Jesus. But before we get into our study about being the church, we're switching now to just practical things that we can do and how we can live I want to ask you to think through a question. Last week, we reviewed and saw the start of the church, age, recalling Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming down. If you read about this in Acts 2, you'll see in Acts 2, 41, that those that received the word were baptized. They received the word. This is the start of repentance. They heard what was preached. They realized, I need Jesus. They received this word. The Holy Spirit descends. Peter preaches the good news. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, which we'll read about in a lady's prayer later on. But people are coming to Christ. It's this amazing spectacle. Thousands, thousands of lives are being transformed like that. I mean, in an instant. But what happens next? So if you are going to oversee the expansion, the global growth, of the church, what would your first four to five steps be? I need you to write them down. These are the things are going to guarantee, based on the work of Jesus, we know that he's the one that's going to build his church, right? He guarantees its victory. But the first four or five steps are going to be crucial for us. Here's what we're going to do. So if Jesus came to you and said, I want you, I want you to come up with the plan to build my church so it expands globally, gives me great glory, where would you start? What would you put down? Again, based on the promise of Christ's help, we're not trying to manufacture anything, but what would you write? Well, we, we got to start, right? We got to keep making disciples, so evangelism, that's got to be top five. We need to network quickly. So we need to get into the Sadducees and Pharisees and so there's no religious obstacles in our path. Let's network as quickly as possible. We need to connect with the current political power. Now, we may not be able to get Rome on our side in every aspect, but if Pontius Pilate and Herod and Festus and Agrippa and Felix, if they're on our payroll in some way, we can maybe not have as much opposition. We need to start a building program. Let's, let's get this going. He started building, people are going to see the building, and they're going to come. If we build it, they will come. I've seen a movie about this. And it's not Iowa. It's heaven, right? Or, wait a sec. No, we're in church. So where, where's, what are we doing? How would you start your four or five-step plan to build the church of God globally? What would your steps be? So after this amazing story of Pentecost, Thousands of lives are being transformed, radically transformed by the good grace of Jesus. What's next? Well, let me, let's look at these verses here. 
It's not a first name. It's an Acts 2. Put this on the screen. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Here's the start. So if you don't know anything about Jesus, this is the start for you. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Peter made this good confession. We've seen this in the last couple weeks. The start for you is once you realize Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, He is the Messiah, your first step, repent. I am a sinner. You and me both. Confess your sin. Repent and, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Praise God, we're in that far off part. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. What's next? Look at the next, very next slide. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day 3,000 souls. Amazing. Stuff's changing. And what did they do? And they devoted themselves. Here we go. Here's their couple steps they're going to stick to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Those on your list, top five things to do to expand the church globally, to turn the world upside down. This is not a business. We're not here to make money. This is a life-breathing organism whom Christ is the head. This is the way pun intended this is the path that we're supposed to be following we devote ourselves to these things we devote ourselves to these things and this is what the disciples were doing devoting themselves to listening to teaching and preaching they were devoting themselves to fellowship they devoted themselves to taking communion they devoted themselves to prayer Obviously, Christ will grow his church because John 15, Jesus said, John 15, 4, apart from me, you can do nothing. The, the Greek term there is jack squat. It's a joke. It's a joke. No, that's, it. that's the idea. You can't do anything apart from Jesus. You cannot. But if we follow his plan and we're dependent upon him, he can do amazing things. He can do amazing things with or without us. But we can be a part of it. Now think how devastating these four points are to people that believe that they don't need the church in order to be a growing Christian. I don't need church. I can go worship the Lord in the wilderness. I can spend time with Him. I don't need to be involved here. Devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoting yourself to fellowship. Who are you fellowshipping with in the wilderness? Trees? Squirrels? They devoted themselves what, to what else? Breaking of bread? To taking communion? Praying corporately with the other brothers and sisters in Christ? You cannot, you cannot despise the bride of Christ and tell me you love him. You cannot despise the bride of Christ and say, I'm going to grow no matter what. And I'm going to hate his bride. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to take part in what he believes is best for his church. Think of the person that comes to church but doesn't stick around to fellowship. Brother, sister, you're missing it. You are missing it. 
Jesus has given us not a building, but a people. There's no mavericks in the Christian life. We need each other. And look at this verse and tell me that we don't need each other. You need people to teach you the way that you ought to be living. You need people that you can fellowship with that have the same interest that Jesus is the king of the world. And I want my life to be under his rule and reign. You need to be breaking the bread and constantly reminding yourself and other people, he died for me. And you need to drop independence. I cannot do it without him. We cannot do it without him. This is the plan to build his church. This is it. You're going to find this in corporate America? Because we're not a business. We don't need a board. We don't need a CEO. We already have one. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the one that makes the calls. We fall in line as pawns because he saved us from our sin. And he allows us to walk in relationship with him. Well, praise God, what can I be? What did David say? You want me to hold a door? I'll do it. I'll do it. The verse that follows this, it says in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul just by seeing what God is doing through simple things. Teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer. Teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer. This is amazing. What is God doing? He's doing amazing things. He's doing amazing things. So I want to look at real quick. We're going to fly by. So for those of our friends that like to write down points, Relax. I'm going to give you seven things that we ought to be doing for prayer. I will put them up again at the end. Okay, and if you don't get it then, you can screenshot it on your computer at home. But I want to get also to 1 Samuel where we learn from somebody who prays. So let me give you seven things you need to understand about prayer. First, Jesus expects us to pray. Your Savior, the one that died for your soul, expects you to pray. Listen to Matthew 6, 5, and 8. And when, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners that they may receive, be seen by others. Truly I say to you that what they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus expects you to pray. Next, Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray. Very next verse, pray then like this. Right, what do the disciples ask us? Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, here you go. Do you notice in his prayer, there's no prayer for healing of your body? Father, that's wrong. Our Father, who is in heaven, how does he start? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, my will be done. No. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me, would you give me today a raise? Would you give me today higher salary, more stuff? No. Give me today my daily bread. Give me what I need. Right on, and we can go through this prayer. It's, it's, it's simple. It's almost like he knew exactly how to teach us to pray to his father because he's also God. And he was in constant communion with him even while here on earth. Jesus taught us to pray. We are also commanded to pray. The next point. 
We're commanded to pray. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. This is an imperative. It's a command. This verse is short, but it's a command to us. We're commanded to pray. But even more so, we'll see that praying is a way of fulfilling God's will. Look at the very next point, number four. This verse continues. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus in you. We fulfill God's will when we pray. Some people, I don't know God's will for my life. I don't know it. Christian, there, there are three times, three times in the New Testament where it says, for this is the will of God. It tells you specifically how you ought to be living, how you can fulfill his will. Start there. Well, what are they? I'll give you one. The rest you can Google after the service. For this is the will of God. Pray. You should be rejoicing because he's yours. You should be coming constantly to him, pray without ceasing. You should be giving thanks in all circumstances. This is what we ought to be doing. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Fulfill God's will by simply going to him. Next, we benefit from praying. It's not as if this is just all for the Lord and for his glory. We benefit from it. Let us, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we draw near to God in prayer, it's described as going to the throne of grace. And when you come to the throne of grace, what do you receive? When you go to Jesus in prayer, do you always get a yes? No. Do you always get an answer? No. But what is guaranteed to be given to you if you will come? Grace, mercy, and help. Did Job get back everything that he lost? No, you're like, well, at the end, he got more. He didn't get his kids back. While he's sitting there scraping his skin to get those boils off, guess what he found when he went to the Lord? Grace, mercy, and help. Those three things are promised to you if you would but come. It benefits you to pray. So it's not just commanded. It just doesn't just fulfill his will. It actually helps you along the process. Also, we see prayer is necessary for battle. Prayer is necessary for battle. Ephesians 6, 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the hem of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm like, great, I got the armor on, I'm ready to go. But it, it, it continues. It's like you forgot that the test, there's a second page. You, you got to turn it over. Well, it continues. What does it say? Praying. You got all your garb on, you're ready to roll. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You put on the armor of God. This is great. I'm ready to roll. Jesus, I need you now. I need you. Help me. I'm dependent upon you. And not just me, everybody I know. Brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so at our church, they need you. Our church needs you. Our small group needs you. We all need you. Help us out. Praying helps us fight the good fight. 
Also, lastly, we see James 5.16. Prayer works. It works. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you read James 5, you'll see prayer can do more than just heal bones. The very next verse, we're going to see an illustration on in, in James 5. The very next verse shows you that an example from the, ver- from the life of Elijah. And the supernatural work that God did through his prayer. Prayer works. It does. If you confess your sins, and if you pray for, pray for one another, does that guarantee that the Lord's going to give you the healing that you so want? No. But it works. Like, well, why do we pray? And how does this work? Because isn't God omniscient? Doesn't he know it all? So why am I praying to begin with? You could say, well, it's commanded, and it is. But it also benefits you. It also fulfills his will. It's also what Jesus taught you to do. It's also what Jesus expects you to do. It also helps you for the battle. And it also works. How does that work with his sovereignty? I don't know. I don't know. If you do know, see me afterwards and sign my Bible. That would be great. You know, we don't know exactly how God uses prayer and his sovereignty. We just know he does. And somehow he, he allows our little peon brains to come to him and raise their hands and say, Jesus, I don't know. Can you help? W- will you work? And he does. You're like, well, does that change his will? No. How did he work it in? I don't know. He's, he's big. He's good. He's God. He's had a plan from before go. Before he spoke the world into existence, Jesus was dying for your sins in his mind. He already knew this was the case. How does it work? I don't know. Does it work? Yes. Based on what? His word. And any other mature Christian that you know, go ask them. They'll tell you prayer works. It does. So turn with me now here to 1 Samuel. Because we work through prayer quickly. Again, if you don't have all seven of those, I will put them back up on the screen at the end. Relax. We'll get there. But I want you to see an example of prayer. So I know this is Mother's Day, and some of you are like, well, are we not going to talk about mothers? All the mothers are going to stone me when we leave. We're thankful for our moms. And we're, we're, I also want to be careful because we know that there are some that wish they could have or have had children, and, and they've lost them. It's a tough day. Or maybe your, your mom was passed, and this can be a tough day for you. Brother, sister, we're trying to be very careful with this. And so I want to look at a text, and I want you to see a godly woman and how she prayed. I want you to see the impact of her prayer, whether you're in the same situation or not. Hey, fellas, this is not the time to tune out. Because if you think you can't learn from a woman, you can't learn spiritual truths from a woman, you're, you're a bozo. Okay? It's in the Word of God, and we need to be learning from these godly women. So 1 Samuel chapter 1 we're not going to be able to read through all this. That's why we sent out an email earlier this week. If you're not on our church email list, hop on it. It's going to help you out. First Samuel 1.10, we want to look at Hannah. So Hannah was married to a guy named Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives. He made a poor decision. Poor decision, fellas. Right, you got, got your bride. Adding a second one, just practical advice, will not help your relationship. Okay, just <laughs> tossing that out there. He had two children, poor decision. There's constant conflict between the two. It could be that Hannah could not have children, and that's why he married another. It's possible. Maybe he didn't trust the Lord in that way. 
but Hannah cannot have children. And we've seen this happen before throughout the story of Scripture, going all the way back to Genesis, ladies that are struggling to have children. And who do they turn to? They turn to the Lord. So in distress, we see first here from Hannah, she turns to the Lord in prayer. 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 12, she was deeply distressed. And she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I'll give to him the Lord all his days. No razor shall touch his head. Oftentimes we can go to anyone except Jesus. You ever had somebody come and talk to you about a problem that you couldn't solve and you knew that they're not going to talk to the person that could solve the problem? You ever had this situation? And you're like, why are you telling me this? You have an issue with somebody else. Go talk to them. Christian, we would be doing people a good service when they come and tell you all their problems and you're like, oh, time out right here. Have you gone to the Lord about this? No. What, <laughs> what are we doing? Well, this is a blind leading the blind. Why don't we stop right now and why don't we both go to the Lord in prayer? If you want me to start, I'll start, but you follow. What are we doing? Let's go to him. In distress, she turned to the Lord. And next we see in verse number 12, she was fervent in prayer. Look at verse number 12. And she continued praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. So she continued in this prayer. Hannah, as verse 15 states, she poured out her soul to God. Where else can she go? She cannot make herself have a child. No mother, no father can. Only God can grant life. So Hannah goes to him. She's pouring out her soul, as verse 15 states. Number three, she told others that God answered her prayer. And she said in verse 26, look down at 1 Samuel 1, 26. She said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord for this child I prayed. And Lord has granted me my petition that I made him. So she's speaking to, to the high priest. She said, you're the one that told me this would happen, and it happened. The Lord has answered my prayer. So she's coming back, telling other people what God has done for her. So when it happened, she just returns and prays. Let me draw your mind back to the New Testament. So going forward to Luke 17. You don't have to turn there. But in Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers. One of them is a foreigner. And the 10 lepers go away healed. And how many return? One. And who was it? The foreigner. The Samaritan. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 17. Verse 17, 18. We're not... Ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Can you imagine being the one guy that comes back? Where are the nine? He's uh, not here. And Jesus says, the next question, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? The simple act of seeing that God has done a work in my life and the simple act of returning to say thank you. It's something, it seems, from the story of the lepers, Jesus expects. I mean, I heal ten, right? One. When the Lord, Christian, when the Lord does amazing things in your life, do you return to give praise? Do you tell others what he's done? And speaking of that, number four, she praised God, for he answered her prayer. Now, we've been in 1 Samuel 1. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. 
1 Samuel chapter 2. I want to read through her prayer, 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. For those of you that have the time, take the prayer that was read by Miss Claire today, Mary's prayer, and compare it to Hannah's prayer. You will find an overwhelming amount of similarities in words and themes. And I want you to think on that. If you're a young Hebrew gal, hoping one day to have a child, what prayer in all of the Old Testament would you know by heart? Would it not be Hannah's prayer? And you'll see when you read Mary's prayer, oh, there's a lot of similarities. The impact a godly woman can have for generations to come. Read David's prayer at the end of 2 Samuel. You're going to see a lot of similarities to this. But the impact of a faithful, godly woman that can have on men and women for generations to come. You know how removed Hannah is from Mary? As far as the timeline goes? But the impact that you can have is amazing. So let me encourage you, ladies. The impact you can have, it's, it's overwhelming. Look at Second Sa- First Samuel sorry, chapter 2, and let's read through Hannah's prayer. And I want you, as we're going through here, just think of the descriptors, the descriptions that she gives of our Savior. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts the Lord. What did Mary say? Read it again. My soul magnifies the Lord. Here, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derives my names because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. The feeble bind on strength. Those who were full, were full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit the seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is her prayer. Look back at verse number one. And Hannah prayed and said, this is a prayer that is recorded. We assume by her son. I don't have time to preach through all of this, and some of you are going to take a large, oof, because you're like, man, there's going to be a lot here. We're going to be here for six hours. And you could be working through this text. Let me recap for you, put up on screen here. Let's walk through just things that we see about God in this. He's exalted. He saves. He's holy. He's God alone. He's our rock. He's omniscient. He's judge. He's over all life. He's the creator of every living thing. He ministers to those in need. He guards his own. And he's victorious over his enemies. Truths that she would have been teaching her child while she was waiting to hand him back over to Eli in the temple. 
two more things I want you to notice about her prayer. Look at verse number 9. Look at verse number 9, right? He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. The wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Hannah informs us that we cannot prevail by ourselves. And we cannot prevail through the good works of others. But the only clear path for a Christian to a victorious life is through the Savior. That's it. Man will not get you where you need to go, but the God-man can. The Savior can. Also in verse number 10, Hannah shows great faith. Look at, the, look at verse number 10 again. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. He will judge the ends of the earth. We could spend time just on his judgment. But look at this last phrase. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let me repeat that. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, some of you, in your head, you're trying to walk through the Bible timeline. You're like, we have a problem here. Because this doesn't make sense. He, he gives strength to his king. What doesn't Israel have right now? We don't have a king. We certainly don't have the anointed. You know what the, the anointed is? It's, it's the Messiah. We don't have the anointed. We don't have a king. Hannah's faith goes back to promises made in Genesis. The very end of Mary's prayer talks about the covenant that God made with Abraham, where from him the nations of the world would be blessed, and through him kings would come. Hannah believed it. This day will come. I believe what God has promised to our ancestors, what he said he will do. So she prays, Lord, give strength to your king. I don't even know who it is yet. Exalt the horn of your Messiah. Even though he hasn't come, but I believe he will come. So she prays this in the future tense. Some of you know this book, 1 Samuel, well enough that if you were going to flip forward to 1 Samuel 16, what does her son get to do? She gets to, he gets to anoint this little runt of a teenager named David, who another covenant will come to him, won't it? Not just like the one to Abraham. Not just like the one to Judah, so it's not just Abraham's seed and, and Judah's tribe, but now it's going to come through the line of David, the king. Through him will come the anointed one, the Messiah, who we find later to be born to Virgin Mary, whom she prays a prayer, giving thanks to God for keeping his promise back in Genesis, based off the prayer of Hannah here in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The Lord works. What he says he will do, he will do. And the faith of a godly woman to pray future, I know he will keep his promise. And he allowed, by his grace, her own children to see and be a part of his good plan. Not just mom, but mom and dad, grandma, grandpa. Are your prayers like this? Are you setting the future tone and hope that your grandchildren, your children know my parents and my grandparents, they believe and they know. 
and they're firm in their conviction of what God will do. They've read his book. They know what promises are coming, and they prayed them for me. Besides praying for my soul to belong to Jesus, besides praying for my future spouse, they've prayed with me about the future coming king. What a testimony that we see in Hannah. The blessing. So I don't have time to get into this. We, if you read 1 Samuel chapter 1, you would see that they came from the town of Ramah. And if you keep reading through the book, you'll see where Samuel is going to set up his headquarters, right? She gives, Hannah gives Samuel to the Lord. And what happens in the end? Guess where Samuel sets up his headquarters? Back in Mama's hometown. Now, some of you mothers who have your child here, you might be trying to elbow them. You need to get moved closer. That's not the takeaway from this. To me, I think it's just the sweet grace of God. When somebody gave her child to the Lord, he says, you know what? He can come on back. Thank you for doing it. I'm going to use him in an amazing way. And this is why we would do a baby dedication like we did for little Maddox today. Lord, use this child to be a part of your plan. We don't know that he's going to be the next Samuel. We don't know how he's going to be a part of God's plan. We, but we pray. We pray for his future. As we shouldn't just as a mom and dad, but as a church. So we're praying, making supplication. Ephesians 6 says, for all the saints, pray for them. But you can be a part of God's plan. Your children can be a part of God's plan. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, set that tone. Set that tone in your home. May your kids and grandkids have no doubt about your beliefs. May your kids and grandkids have no doubt about your future. When I come or another brother comes to do your funeral, and we ask, how do they come to know the Lord? There's no doubt on this. We know when, we know why, we know what. They just kept pounding it into us. How they came to Jesus, they kept pounding into us of what was coming, what Jesus was going to do for us. They kept pounding into us what they thought God could do through in and through our lives. They kept telling me, you, know, you can be used by the Lord. This is the faith of Hannah, one in distress, whom God in his kindness decided, I'll answer that prayer. Hannah, I'll do more than that, though. Do you think Hannah knew when she prayed this prayer that her son would get to anoint the coming king? They have no king. And as judges told us, everybody's doing right in their own eyes. Your son's going to help turn the ship around. He's going to anoint the one that has, it's a man after my own heart. And through that man whom your son gets to anoint, the Messiah, the one you're praying for, he's going to come. What a praise. How awesome is that? See what the Lord does for Hannah. So what does all this mean for us today, friend? First, you know, earlier in 1 Samuel 2, we read about how God is our creator and our savior. We read that he is the judge. Nothing is hidden from him, for he knows all. So God knows your simple heart, friend. He knows mine. Our hearts are sinful. We, we've equally done wrong in the Lord's eyes. We've all gone astray, but those that turn and confess and repent, Jesus will be their Savior. He'll be their Lord. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So as we read in Acts chapter 2, it starts with repentance. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friend, will you repent? Will you confess your sins today? Will you confess Jesus is the Lord? 
Pray now and ask him to forgive you. Ask him to receive you as your child. If you have questions how you can do that, see myself or a Christian friend that we came with. We'd love to help. You can do it right now if you want. Nobody's keeping you from doing it. But if you have questions on how to do it, come see us. Next, you see on the screen here, we, we went through these seven things. Jesus expects us to pray. He, he taught us to pray. We are commanded to pray. We fulfill God's will when we pray. We benefit from praying. Prayer is necessary for the battle. Prayer works. So for all those that claim to know Jesus as their Savior, let me ask you a question. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? In our teacher training panel discussion that we had a couple months ago, my dad said, you can do a lot of things in life on your own merit, but you can't succeed in the Christian life without prayer. Let me repeat that. You can do a lot of things in life on your own merit, but you can't succeed in the Christian life without prayer. Christian, are you praying as you should? Now, how many of us, don't raise your hand, does that make us feel crummy and guilty? And rightly so. Maybe you realize, like I did as I'm preparing for this week, man, I'm not praying like I should. I should be spending more time. And you may, say, you may reply, well, no matter when we come back, we could say we could spend more time. And you're probably right. So do it. <laughs> but the first step for you and for me, let's, let's be honest with Jesus. Jesus, I confess what's true. I'm not praying like I should. Would you grant me the discipline to pray more this week than I did the week past? That's it. Let's just start there. Until next Sunday, Lord, help me to get to next Sunday having prayed more in the next seven days than I have in the last. By faith, Christian, will you endeavor to increase that time? What might God do through your prayer? And he can do some amazing things. It works. It works. What might God do through your prayer? By faith, believe that he can work. And greater still, I think even greater than believing God can work, believe, by faith, believe he actually wants to hear your prayer. Can, you, can your mind comprehend that? Does that make sense to you? Is it as befuddling to you as it is to me that Jesus, the sovereign Lord of all, God the Father, the creator of the world, the Holy Spirit, the, the great comforter, that the great three in one actually wants to hear your voice. He wants to know what he already knows. I want you to tell me, what do you need? Now, Mom and Dad, you know this. Because you've had your kids come and just hand out their hand and you know what they want, you're like, no. Just ask. Verbalize it. Say it. Can I please have that? <laughs> okay. That's heartfelt. Man, that warms my heart. Sometimes the, the Savior just wants you, just come. I already know what you need. But I, I want you. Come. By faith, would you do that? Believe that Jesus doesn't, and not just can he work, but he, he actually wants to hear from you. By faith, Christian, believe that. Perhaps you're here and you find yourself, like Hannah, in distress. 
you're pouring out your soul to the Lord, Christian, would you, would you by faith grab another Christian or two or three and say, would you pray with me about this? Would you pray with me about this? Not trying to spread gossip. We're not praying for somebody that you don't like. We're praying for your heart and your soul. Would you have them jump in with you? And then when the Lord works in your life, will you tell others what God has done? When he does answer, will you pray and give a prayer of praise? Lastly, will you join me in praising a God who saves? Think through all those descriptions that Hannah gives us about our Savior. Praise God that he saves. Praise God that when we come to him, he goes, I know you didn't come to me for mercy and grace, but here it is on top. You may not have come to me for help, but here it is. I promise you, these things you will find at my throne every time you come, every time you enter. You'll walk away, mercy, grace, help covering you for the day. Come to him and come to him often. Let's bow for a word of prayer and then we'll have our team come and sing. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the sweet gift of motherhood. We thank you for the moms in our midst. Lord, we thank you for the memory of precious ladies that have gone on before. Lord, some that weren't even birth mothers. But there were ladies that decided to pour their heart and soul into others. Jesus, we thank you for them. Lord, we thank you for the example of Hannah, who in distress came to you, who prayed fervently. Lord, who told others how you answered her prayer, who had a prayer of praise. Lord, that has instructed hundreds of generations. So, Lord, we thank you for the gift of motherhood. We thank you for the ladies in our midst that are trying to serve you with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of prayer. We know that you expect it, you taught it, you commanded it. We know it fulfills your will and can benefit us. We know it's necessary for the battle. We know it works. So, Lord, for those that, like me, realize I need to be praying more, I need to spend more time in the presence of my Savior. Lord, would you grant us forgiveness for our laxity, for our lack of self-discipline? And Lord, would you help us this week, by faith, to put more time into our personal time with you? We think of our, our Christian friends here, Lord, that are, they're distressed, maybe depressed or anxious. Some that may feel like they're so far in the pit, Lord, they can't even see light. Lord, would you help them by faith to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ? And that they could pray together with two or three witnesses, knowing that you will be there in their midst. And Lord, would they pray and bring these things to you so that this Christian knows that they don't have to go through this step alone. We pray for our, our friends here that have never repented. Lord, whether they've been in church their entire life, whether they're a member or not, Lord, I pray for those that have never truly repented and do not know you as their Savior. May today be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.